Are you tired about hearing how AI is going to revolutionize the way we work? Are you starting to think AI is more hype than reality? Well, for better or worse, I think we all need to embrace that AI is already revolutionizing the way we work. And the impact is incredibly broad-based. It spans all aspects of the tech business model. To back up this assertion, TSIA is documenting case studies on how TSIA members are deploying AI capabilities to dramatically re-engineer workflows. In this episode, we will be sharing one of those case studies. I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association, and welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. Today, I will be speaking with Jillian Alexander, the Vice President of Learning Services at OpenText, and she will be helping us understand how education service organizations can leverage AI. So let's get the Insight Engine running. Uh, welcome, Jillian. If you can open up here and just describe OpenText, you know, what that company is about and your role there. Great. Thanks, Thomas. A pleasure to be here. So OpenText is a global company based in Ottawa, one of Canada's largest software companies. And we are an enterprise leader in information management solutions. Fantastic. And your role there, in, how long have you been in the education services role there? I joined OpenText almost a year to the day. So oh, wow. Okay. So still relatively new. Yeah. Still relatively new, but really enjoying it. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you were kind enough to work with us to do a case study on how your organization is deploying AI capabilities to change the way that you generate educational content for OpenText products. And so let's start you know, with the basics here. What type of AI capabilities did your team leverage? I know that generative AI, for example, was part of it, but, but what were the core capabilities you were able to leverage? So we kind of started this journey a couple of years ago. We realized that with the speed of product release and change and limit, you know, standard capacity that we had in order to innovate, we were going to have to find new tools that helped us automate tasks that were really time consuming, very manual. So that was our initial reason to move into the AI forum. And we looked first around the development of our content, specifically looking at e-learning and how we could leverage unstructured content into an e-learning format. We also did a lot of audio. We were reliant on our instructors, our developers to do voiceover recordings for materials. Those materials might be up to 40 hours of content for a single course. And then we are a global company and our customers speak many languages. And when they're looking at driving out adoption projects to their business audience, it needs to be in local language. So translation was another big area that we looked at. On the unstructured content, because I know you and I have had some conversations before. So describe some of the unstructured content you were now able to leverage to drive learning materials, right? In, in, a, in a, you know, a way that it's a lot harder to do, right? Without AI. So what was, what were some of those resources you could, you could. Yeah, we, we partnered early um, as part of an early adopter program with a company based in Ottawa, Learn Expert. And really. Keeping it all in Canada there, right? You just want to. Keep- keeping it all, yeah. <laughs> it's all Canadian all the time. <laughs> we're good Maritimers, so. Yes. Know. But we partnered early with them because they were building something that was really unique in the market, really was around the automation of content and a virtual course developer, if you will. So one of the the big things for us is we didn't have a lot of e-learning. 
We had a mm-hmm. whole bunch of uh, traditional training. We have like standard operating procedures, case studies, blogs, all kinds of text-based content that we wanted to reuse, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we reuse all of these wonderful knowledge assets that everybody has out there in their company and leverage that to accelerate the development of, of learning content? Yeah. They allow us to upload anything from a PowerPoint to an MP3, the word well, and, if, and if we just pause on the PowerPoint one, because I know the first time we, we spoke, that really struck me, you know, because you, like every other tech company, you have all of these knowledge experts. It could be a professional services person. It could be, it could be a support technician. It could be a sales engineer, right, who is creating insights and content around your, your products, but it is unstructured, right? It is in all these. And now you are in this place where if you are identifying some of the content being generated from your best and your brightest, you can feed that in to create more structured e-learning, right? I mean, that to me, when I heard that, I'm like, wow. I mean, that is, that's a superpower right there. Well, and it's, and it's a great point. There's a lot of companies that might not have the investment in a large formal education organization, right? but you've got these SMEs that know these products, know the best practice. They are not content developers. They're not learning professionals. That's right. They're not always comfortable. How do I structure that information, convey it to an audience that doesn't know what I know? So often the best and brightest spend a lot of time as coach and mentors getting their tribal knowledge (laughs) out there into those organizations. And that's obviously not scalable or not very efficient. Even if they're writing a massive deck or a white paper, what this product allows them to do is input those formats, whatever they are, mm-hmm. and pretty quickly, it will put it into a logical course outline. It will modularize it. It will tell them how long it is. It will make recommendations on, really, you need some kind of engagement here, or maybe yep. a, a demo would be great here. And then it has a, a learning advisor capability where you can have this, they call it LIA, so I'll just call the software LIA, Learn Experts AI. And they'll make those recommendations um, for you. So it really accelerates it and it takes away the change averseness because it it makes it much easier. Yeah. Well, you know, there's one thing that Maria Manning Chapman on our team who leads our education services research area, and she's taught me a lot of things. But one thing, you know, she's taught me over the years is the fact that just because you know something really well, you know, like as a researcher, as a a subject matter expert, doesn't mean you're good at imparting that and training somebody else on that, right? And educating them on. And so there is that translation that has to occur. And again, we now have AI that can come in and do that translation, which used to be just super hard to do. I mean, very labor intensive. So, you know, I'm hammering on this because it it is such a powerful, in my mind, use case that like every education service organization has got to be saying, wow, I mean, I've got to be exploring that. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the specific commercial products that you did use. So you have this, these good friends in, in, in Canada. And I think the other thing when we talked, you know, you're, you're a pretty early adopter here. So you're seeing these commercial tools really yeah. mature pretty quickly. Yeah. The changes in the last uh, couple of years has been, you know, just kind of mind blowing. Yeah. I think with COVID, it really accelerated that development cycle as well, because everything became remote and virtual and your traditional ways of working have changed. So digital learning and digitizing content and getting that out in a scalable way came to the forefront out of necessity. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. You know, you could so, do the in-class yeah. training. You can, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah so, so a lot of the tools and education accelerated the, the development. So just you know, rattle off some of the commercial tools that you took advantage of. We've played with many and, and used many predominantly with text to speech. Uh, there were multiple different tools we used. Well said was one. Uh, Speechalo was another. Synthesia is another multi different use cases that is addressed with that. For translation, there's all kinds of free translation out there. But the other thing, Thomas, is as an education organization, you have to be very careful what you're developing in and how it's licensed because then you're reusing that and, and selling it. So that's the thing, right? You can't just go out and play with any AI tool and use it. So Deeple has been one that we've used very deeply and continue to use, and we've had phenomenal um, results from that. Oh, good. The translation has evolved in the last 10 years to where for most standard you know, languages, you're getting almost 90% wow. out of the box. It's the technical, the industry stuff. But more specific jargon, if you will, that is probably... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Things, yeah. things that may not be as logical, but... As I said, we do a lot of custom training that's built for the customer specific to their business outcomes. And often that's in multiple languages, even yeah. in a single customer. So an individual with a live narrator, one hour can take about eight hours because it's that production and mm -hmm. you know the pausing and having to make sure it's well done. Whereas now you're writing a script, you're feeding that script into Deeple that's then getting that translation back. And that same script is what you would use in yeah. the text speech as well. So you wrote the script once, you get the pausing there, and then all of a sudden you can move that into audio files that can be reused, they can be translated. And when you're updating, now all of a sudden think about if you spent a year doing audio narration with a specific voice actor or what have you, and they're no longer available and you need to go back and update. Yeah. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. Well, you know, my producer Vanessa is taking notes right now. I know she is. And she's like, when can I get to the day where I just get a script? And I just suggest that I don't need Thomas anymore. <laughs> she's no, already... <laughs> the other thing though, which that I will say, and you know, that's, that's always a concern for, the content designers and the e-learning the e developers, this is not about replacement. This is about removing redundancies and making them more efficient so they can be more strategic and add more value yeah. and work more exciting things than having to go back and re-record a voiceover, you know, for the 20th time or start from scratch to do an update for a full module because it has to flow properly. But, you know, the one thing about AI, I mean, is, again, the human, you know, impact of it, right? And for people involved and in pretty much everyone I talk to on this topic that is deploying AI capabilities, they are very focused on sort of two benefits here, right? So one is automating things that are sort of the grunt work, if you will. You know, if we can take things that were, you know, just really cumbersome and automate that, that's good for our employees. And then augment, augment what they're doing, you know, so that they can add more value. And I think that those things are true. I think ultimately it is going to make less people more productive. There's no doubt about that. But I think the other thing about the human factor here, and it's one of the things I definitely wanted to ask you, was around when things are said and done, the workflows end up being different. We'll click in specifically now to people that are developing content. They've been doing this for 
maybe their whole career, right? And they're very good at it. And then all of a sudden, this wave of new tools comes along, which again, augments them, automates some things, but it creates a fundamentally different workflow. So you as a leader, right? Tell me sort of some of the things you had to do to navigate that. Because I know from working with tech companies, we always love to tell the whole world how tech is just so innovative and we're entrepreneurs and we're so, you know, we love change. And the reality is we hate change like everybody else, right? We are no different than any other industry, right? Salespeople don't want to change the way they're selling, you know, service people don't want to change. So how do you, how did you navigate that aspect of getting people to embrace new ways of operating? Yeah. And it's, it's a whole change management effort and yeah. change is hard. You know, I had shared with you at Open Text, we just did a very large acquisition. So we brought multiple teams together, a lot of really experienced, highly skilled people, deep subject matter experts mm-hmm. yeah. in the projects or areas that they work in. And we inherited a whole bunch of tools <laughs> as yeah, well. Right. Yeah, yeah, that they were using. Yeah, yeah. So this has been something that's been really kind of a hot topic for us as we're looking at how do we standardize and consolidate our dev stack yeah. so that it's consistent. And we do have a propensity and focus on AI tool sets because we know the value it can bring to us. So a, a lot of it is communicating what it is and what it isn't, being very specific on the problems that we're trying to solve with the technology and starting small with some of them, like to to jump into a tool as a very skilled curriculum developer that all of a sudden is doing things that you already know how to do. Your first right. instinct is, I don't need this tool. Right. I can do this already. Yeah. yeah. Or it's making mistakes. And then I have to go back and I, I need to correct those mistakes. Yeah. It takes time. Yep. Or, you know, there's there's all kinds of different ways versus uh, I've got a multiple people that are really have embraced this and helped with the pilots and helped with mm-hmm. the early adoption are much more entrenched in it. And the gains that they are seeing, even from um, when we did the use case, I had shared with you, it was a 40% acceleration in content development. We're now up to about 65, wow. 70%. So when you start to think about that and then what the costs are to update that content in the future, because that goes way down as well, because Mm -hmm. the updates are now much more automated. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Which, you know, one of the things that you shared is, you know, the fact that one of the biggest challenges that education service organizations have within a tech company is keeping your educational material up to date. The fact that a product comes out, there's a new release, there's a new this, there's a new that, and you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta go back and... And redo. And so you're always falling behind, if you will, to where the most latest rev is. And you're saying this is now a technology that allows you to stay right in lockstep with where the products are. Yeah. So, and I mean, if we give a, just a standard example of a release, there might be some really interesting functionality that can help customers that we want to get out there, but it's not something that is going to get added to a course, right. that's, you know, 40 hours long or. Yeah, yeah. Uh, an eight-hour e-learning, we can literally take release notes and then generate small micro-learning pieces around yep. each of those skills and make those available digitally through you know whatever solution you're serving up digital content in. So that becomes really powerful, really fast. Yeah, no, absolutely. So if we stay on this thread of the business benefits, right, that you're you're getting, so you're getting a reduction in time to generate content, you're getting the ability to refresh 
much quicker. You have the ability to support probably more languages than you ever did before. What are some of the other benefits that, you know, from the business side that you're seeing? Yeah, we use a lot of those aforementioned tools in the field as well. So, you know, I've been speaking mostly about our content development organization internally. Mm-hmm. We've got our delivery and change management experts out in the field that work really closely with our customers to make sure users are getting value, that they're adopting our solutions, that they understand why do I want to do this? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, those outcomes and how we onboard those users is through digital learning, a support yep. plan and a comms plan. And with the digital learning and the AI tools, what we're finding is, you know, the value to the customer where before it's a very linear process. And once we're to this milestone, we can't go back, we can't make changes, we can move forward. But when you're talking about editing a script or adding an additional language or moving content around that can be then re-auto-generated in the context of the evening. Yeah. Then the collaboration with the client opens up and we can be much more flexible. We do a lot with digital avatars as well. We know that people learn better from another individual. So mm-hmm. to replicate like a human likeness in the e-learning, yeah. there's more retention. And let's say that we put something together and they want a female persona instead of a male persona, or they want an American accent or a South African accent. Yep. Those are button pushes yep. at this point. And that's really yeah. helpful. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And so I want to click to the sort of the financial side of it. And so we're doing survey work around, you know, how many AI projects companies have in place. And then one of the questions is, have you yet realized a positive ROI? And that's actually still a minority case of the, of the companies that we survey, right? So, so pretty much everybody's doing some type of piloting somewhere, right? So they've got something in play. But it's it's much fewer companies that can say, oh yeah, and I already you know clearly see the ROI. But again, our point of view on this is there these ROIs are going to be massive. I don't think there's any doubt about it. So how did you sort of a, approach that piece of it on the financial side? And and do you already have you know firm and concrete you know financial benefits that you can report upward? Where are you at on that part of the journey? Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of industry metrics on the cost of development. Mm-hmm. What does it cost to translate a day in Japanese yeah. language? <laughs> How much so does it cost? Good benchmarks there. We have yeah. everyone does actually. They're they're widely available um, yeah. out there in the industry. The Chapman model is one that has been around for a long time. But in general, for us, we benchmark maybe 80 hours to develop one hour of e-learning content. Mm-hmm. We benchmark eight hours of human voiceover to develop one hour of audio narration. Similarly, from a content development, we're a one to 20 for one hour of content. So when you start to think about with text to speech, we're seeing a 4x return. Translation, we're seeing like 90% return, still with a native speaker review, but that's massive. Yep. And then with the content, the e-learning creation, we're seeing uh, now like 65 to, to 70% yep. faster. So as a, just a, a simple baseline of if you're paying a, somebody $50 an hour to build an hour of e-learning content, it's about $4,000. Yep. If you're, you're now producing it for $1,250 yep. and you've got 10,000 hours of digital content in the market, starts to scale up pretty yeah. substantially. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I'm working on a research paper with the team right now 
around success criteria for AI use cases, right? As you're rolling out AI, what, you know, what are some of the things to look for? And is is I've been talking to members like yourself and documenting different success stories here in case studies. I think one thing that is a common pattern is if you can go after workflows where you do have very clear performance KPIs already, then when you apply AI, you can start to see these deltas. So I'll give you an example. So let's say the, the use case is in sales and you're using a tool to do sentiment analysis around what a prospect's saying. That's going to be helpful and interesting, but you probably don't want to like have a hard metric to say, how much is that helping me? Maybe I start to look at you know deal close rate or time to close, whatever, but that's going to be a little bit fuzzier in terms of the influence. But what you just put on the table is a great example of, look, we have great benchmarks on what it should and does take for all of these different you know, aspects of, of content creation. And now when we apply these tools, we have brand new ratios that we can point to. And so the ROI is crystal clear. And I think there's a lot of use cases beyond education that are out there in tech business models. And I think that's a great place to start. Start where we really do understand the workflow. We know what good looks like in current effort and performance. And we believe AI can make a difference there. Let's start there because there's not going to be a mystery of did we get an ROI. It's going to be pretty clear. It's very clear. The early adopters in my team that are using these technologies and really embracing it, the more that they use them, the more efficient that they get, the more creative and innovative they get. As I said, since the last time we spoke, you know, we were seeing a 40% reduction in time and yeah. we've gained like 25 to 30% over and above that because we're knowing how to leverage the AI properly. Yeah. And let's just pause on this, again, sort of the order of magnitude of these benefits and how quickly they're unfolding. So you think about any project you've ever worked on in your career, right? I think of any project I've ever seen you know, a company work on and say, hey, we're working at optimizing our workflow or our process, you know, our cost here. And if you said, yeah, I'm going to come to the table and in 1.0, I'm going to take out 40% of the effort. And then a year later, I think I'm going to be able to take out like another 25%. I mean, most projects, I mean, you're, you're super happy if you could take out 10% of the cost, right? In the effort and the time or the whatever. And so, I mean, that's the thing to me is that's mind blowing here is that these gains in, in productivity and efficiency are not the ones we're kind of historically used to, <laughs> right? Where we're like, hey, you know, I did a Six Sigma project, right? And I got this, you know, I got another little decimal point of efficiency. These are like, whoa, these are, you know, again, order of magnitude. And and I just don't want that to be lost on the audience because, I, again, I as much hype as there is around AI, I still think that a lot of leadership teams are not internalizing how big this impact can be when you start to deploy it. Again, you're not looking for, you know, little tweaks. You're looking for big improvements here. So we covered the financial piece of it. Let's just talk sort of the big lessons learned as you went through this journey over a couple years. And still going. <laughs> yeah, still going through it, right? It's a never ending now. Yeah. But you as a leader, and you didn't walk in and say, look, I've done this 20 times before. I know exactly how to do this, you know, within an education service organization. This was a journey for you as well, right? And so what were some of the big things you took away that you would impart to your peers, right, if they were going to start this this type of initiative? So the best thing I can do is kind of relate it back to our journey. We had a very real business use case that we needed to solve for. We couldn't develop content for everything that 
we needed to. We've got a really broad portfolio and only so much capacity to go around. So we've always had to really prioritize and you still prioritize, but if we can even make a 30% increase in what we can bring to market annually, that's hugely powerful for our customers to get knowledge on things that we weren't able to provide in the past. So we specifically looked at, you know, those things that we could automate um, that were highly manual, very time consuming. We picked simple use cases such Mm -hmm. as speech to text, like the audio narration, let's find tools, translation. These are very narrow use cases. And then we did look at different tools in the industry, what's going on, and then did choose some partnerships pretty wisely, knowing that we were starting as an early adopter and we would feed into the product design, but bringing our requirement into that process to where now we're realizing huge benefit because number one, we've got a fantastic partnership and we can feed into that roadmap and continue to do so. And number two, it's been built into the product, you know, so, you know, something like, hey, we all have branded PowerPoints. Like we, we want to bring our own branding in and (laughs) set up our own templates so that we don't have to do all of that, Mm -hmm. you know, editing and stylizing of, of all the content. So just really simple use cases, chart your plan and your path, make sure you know what the outcomes are. And it does have to be kind of an innovation roadmap is how we did it. We looked at it as where can we insert this in our development life cycle for our learning products and our learning services? And who are going to be our leaders around that? In my organization, I have content developer directors that drive the strategy. I also have a a learner experience director that does a lot of this research Mm -hmm. around these products and what's the usability and really looking at the customer experience. Yeah, on that point, when you, I'm just playing back for the audience, right? So picking very clear use cases, simpler is better when you're coming out of the gate, right? Again, we have good KPIs here, hopefully a clear ROI. So being focused, having a clear what I heard was a good roadmap. You know, here's the roadmap we're going to go on. And then with the team and the organization, did you identify people that, here's people that want to lean into this and they're going to be my, you know, yeah, the people that are sort of part of this first wave. And then we can take it across. Instead of saying, hey, everybody, here's the new workflow. Did you pick a few people to basically mature the capability? Yeah, as as part of the early adopter program, we had five individuals that mm-hmm. were really deep subject matter experts around content development, mm-hmm. um, feeding in, and we rotated actually those five slots, if you will, or, or licenses um, into our field organization as well, mm-hmm. because everybody's trying to do different things. One person might be, I have to build a whole bunch of knowledge questions for knowledge checks mm-hmm. from this content, so. That might be their initial use case yeah, yeah. into some, hey, it allows me to auto-generate questions with distractors and the, the question, uh, the, the right answer right mm-hmm. out of the gate. Yeah. And what would take, that's something that's really time-consuming to, to build test questions, ask oh. any content developer. So to have that automated, and then it's just a review, you know, and maybe tweaking some of the output. And, you know, that's a win and that's a buy-in for them as well as they see the immediate value. But to your point, it's really something where 
you have to manage that change. And we are at a point where we've now got people that have been using these different tools really effectively. They are kind of those champions in the organization. Yeah, that was going to be my next question because, you know, the human physics of what we're talking about here is not going to be frictionless, right? Again, we're talking about really changing workflows, you know, dramatically. And again, most people are not super excited to, you know, change what they're doing. So by getting some early adopters who could really demonstrate big benefits, like, look, wow, look how much I can do. Do you find that they then become sort of the the influencers where other people who might have had their arms crossed saying, gosh, I don't think I need these tools. Now they're saying, wow, this does look like there's some there there because my peer is really demonstrating. I mean, is that sort of that, that domino effect or just kind of describe how you saw that unfold within the team? It is really helpful because, again, everybody has a propensity for the tools that they know and, you know, how they've always been doing things. So, you know, managing that change is a big part of this and having peers that know your day to day and understand your challenges and can immediately show you live, like, here's what it's going to help you with. Here's how I use it or here's the best practice. It goes a long way. Because there's so much misconception about AI, right? right? That push button and you expect it's going to build this course magically. And that's not the case. And I I think there's a lot of concern about automating tasks that is part of somebody's role today. And for us, again, these are really highly skilled people. If they can automate development of something like a test bank of questions, and it takes now four hours instead of a week and a half to build right. this out because yeah. it has to be legally defensible and right, making stuff, sure yeah. in the content. So that's pretty powerful to them. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. The other observation, like you said, the misconceptions around AI and the fact that it's not magical, you press the button and everything happens, no doubt true. I also believe because we're using some of these tools internally, right, is I do believe, yeah, I'd be curious how you come down on this using these tools. AI is going to be a different tool slash software experience for most professionals because every piece of software we've ever used, let's face it, has been clunky. But you know, technology today is still kind of clunky. If you're putting it into your workflow and you're using it, there's still a lot of things you got to jump through. And these AI tools, they do behave differently. You know, they are way more intuitive to interact with. You know, and even though again, you don't just push a button and they're magical. But I'm curious. As you mentioned earlier, you had a whole set of tools that have been in place for you know a while that people were using. Now you have these next generation tools. Are you seeing it easier to adopt these next generation AI driven tools into the workflow? Mm, that's, that's okay question. if you don't. I'm just I'm just curious what your experience is. Well, um, I think it's very individualized, right? Mm, interesting. Okay. So, you know, I'm a very change forward person. I thrive on that. You know, it's great. I'm I'm excited about it and the opportunities that it brings. But there's others that are more change resistant and really feel comfortable in, in what they do and how they do it today. So those that I see embrace it. And not everybody has to do everything either. Yeah, yeah. Those that are embracing it, they're embracing it wholeheartedly and they're they're gaining a lot of benefit from it. That would be the other thing is when you're starting to explore and starting to plan, we all have people, you know, in the team that are open to change, want to try new things. And those might be the individuals that you start with. 
because it is very different and it can be time consuming at the beginning because AI is only as good as what you're feeding yeah. it in. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about text to speech, there's a script that has to be written and has to be written in a proper way. Yeah, yeah. And it has to be tweaked. So there's still a lot of work there. But then once yeah. it's done, yeah. you know, then it gets smoother and smoother. So it's that initial entry that's that. So what I heard there in terms of adoption is that regardless of how hard or easy a tool is to use, if somebody basically is resistant to change, right? It doesn't matter how easy the tool is, they're still going to be like arms crossed on this, right? And they'll be like, okay. So it, it starts with sort of the proclivity to like, I'm interested in new tools. I'm interested in a new way to do things. If they have that, then away you go, right? So that's, and that's, that's as old as time, right? I mean, that's, you know, in terms of dealing with new technologies, yeah. In the last question, I'll just have in terms of just friction points, right? Were there any just kind of clear friction points that you experienced that you would, uh, again, for your peers, you'd say, hey, if you're going to start to deploy this, here's here's some things, you know, that you're going to have to work through. So I, I think one of, one of the big things is it's going to come back down to people as well and around who gets engaged on this. I think it's not something that you can just say, okay, here's a subject matter expert, go off and research this. As a leader, you have to put a clear strategy in place and define what those expectations are and what the goals are, because otherwise you're not going to get the results or measure those impacts. You know, what are we testing for? What are we looking for? What are we trying to achieve here? Yeah. And I, I think there is no clear strategy or clear roadmap. You know, a lot of us fail to plan, right? Yeah. And, you know, you say that, and, and I'm sure there's some people listening going, well, every good organization is going to have a plan. And like, that's like, you know, this is a Captain Obvious statement, but it's not. And I'll tell you, and I can validate this from talking to, again, a lot of leadership teams on what they're doing with AI. It, for a lot of them, it is an art project. It is like, oh, yeah, we're exploring this and we're kind of trying that. But I don't hear a lot of what you're saying most of the time where people are like, no, actually, we've got a plan. We, you know, we're looking at specific use cases. You know, I've asked somebody to explore what, you know, tools we can use here, you know, to achieve these benefits. And so you got to put the bumpers around it if you think you're going to get benefits in a meaningful time frame. Otherwise, you know, it's pilot this, try that, do this for a couple of weeks. It's just too loose. It's just too loose. And I think already there's enough there there with these AI tools, it, it shouldn't be that open-ended, right? You can identify some very specific use cases to go after. Yeah. And there's a lot of folks in industry and my peers that are doing really interesting things and talk to those people, see what other people are doing. There's no need to kind of reinvent something. In this space, there are very defined value propositions out there around these tool sets and directionally where you can see it going um, yeah. and where where we're going to take it. So that long-range planning is, yeah. is important. <laughs> well, hey, I really appreciate your time Pleasure. spending here and sharing your learnings. For you know TSI members, we're doing a series of these, writing up these case studies. So look for those. We also have an ongoing research journey on AI and how companies are deploying it because, again, we just feel this is such a, a critical capability for all companies across you know the organization this is really is a game changer and so i always like to end with our question of the day and i hope this this episode here helps prove the fact that ai is real it's not hype there are real massive use cases and so the question of the day is does your leadership 
have a strategy for AI? Yes or no? Thanks, everybody, for listening. Cheers. Cheers.